Good morning. Uh, I want to say again, but it's not good morning again because you were not here the first time the other church was. And it's almost like two churches, which in turn is why we do our vine stock in the middle of the summer so that we can get everybody together and realize that we're really just one church. And that's a good thing. You know, that more than a manger thing is an important outreach to us. Um, We were doing uh, um, um, Christmas angel trees years ago. And I actually saw a lady. um, She had come in, signed her kids up and like that. And I'm not here to throw rocks at anybody. It just got me to thinking. But she, she picked up a couple of bags worth of, clo- of, of toys for her children, went out to her minivan that was waiting there, slid the door open carefully, and had to push and push and push this bag in on top of all the other bags of toys that were there that she had collected from all the other churches. And then she slid the door shut, and I watched this go on. And then when um, we got all done with that outreach, we sat with the staff, and we said, you know what, we got to do something different. We're not making a difference. And, and I don't want to be the pastor of the biggest church in Madison County. I want to be the pastor of the church that makes the biggest difference. And so I said, this is what we need to do. We need to go to the family resource centers, and we need to say, hey, what is the real need? And, and somebody just came back and said, you know what? At any given moment, there's 250 kids in Madison County that are sleeping on a floor, sleeping on a couch, um, that are doubled up in a bed, tripled up in a bed, or have no bed at all. Um, they're being moved around a little bit, and they said, you know, if there's anything you guys could do about that. When we deliver this Christmas, we will have crossed the 225 or 250 beds that we have given as a congregation. Yeah. Okay? And, and just to give you a heads up, that whole bed kit costs a little over $300, so do the math. That's what you have done in Madison County, putting kids in beds off the floor. The first year that we did it, one of the teams came back as we go in, we build the bed, we give them a stuffed animal, um, we pray with the family, um, invite them to church if they're not going to church. But came back from um, uh, the Berea area, and there was a man down there, a young man down there, he was 19 years old, and he had one parent that had passed away from drug use, and he had another parent that was incarcerated for an extended, extended period of time for drug use. Here he was, 19, graduated high school. He was trying to raise five siblings. Five siblings and he's 19. He wants to go to college and he said, but I can't. I have a good job at Tokiko. Um, I think that's where he was. And, and he said, it, it, I, it, it's on me to raise my siblings. And we got a hold of this man because of um, the family resource centers in the schools, and we contacted him, and it broke our hearts, and we provided beds for each of you. You provided beds for each of those kids there. We don't know where they, where they are today. We prayed with them and just invited them and said, hey, this is a good time for you to get involved in a local church. We're not interested in stealing people from other churches. That's not how you build a church. You win people to the Lord, and you build the church. Okay, And we wanted him to be in a church in his community that he could easily get to and be a part of. And that's what's important. And so that was a blessing. And I want to thank you because I like being the pastor. I like being a pastor that is making a difference. And I like being a part of a church that is making a difference in Madison County in Central Kentucky. And what a great thing that is. And I'm excited now because I'm going to be on the team going to visit um, the lady that just found herself uh, a single mom with five kids and I'm looking forward to conversing with her this afternoon um, and seeing you know, how, how can we as a church be a part of your life. And listen to me, if you're in here and there's a need, it's not going to get met if we don't know about it. 
I love you and I'm not trying to out you and I'm not, you can just very quietly during the week give us a call, talk to Leah, how can we help you? We've got to be willing to do for the household of faith first, the New Testament says. Do good to those of the household of faith first. And that's what we want to do. And then we also want to go out into the community. And so we want to be a part of that. So thank you for being a part of the church. Thank you for getting involved in this. And thank you for what's about to happen even today. All that. So that I can say thank you. Because we're in a season of Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving doesn't have to be a day. Did you see how I segued over that? I'm a professional. Don't try this at home. Okay? Because... We are not supposed to live a day of thanksgiving. We're supposed to live a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And I want to encourage you this morning about that very concept. The idea that to live thankful is to live all in. For us to do beds is us as a congregation living all in. For us to take however many pounds of food out there to, to strangers' doors and knock on the door is for us to be all in. The craziest thing, I'm going to bring this, salva- or, excuse me, this Thanksgiving message from the book of Jeremiah, which is kind of an odd one, from chapter 33, which um, you may or may not be aware of. And I want to share a scripture, and then I'm just saying, come Holy Spirit, and let God begin to affect our lives, and let's just see where he takes us in a season of thanksgiving, okay? But let's live a lifestyle at the end of the day of thanksgiving because thanksgiving, having an offering of thank, a thanksgiving offering is the manner in which God begins to refill our dry, desolate places. In the book of Jeremiah in chapter 33, I'm going to read it from my Bible. It will show up up there. But I'm going to read from verse 10 all the way to verse 12, two whole ver- three whole verses, okay? 10, 11, and 12. But then I want to unpack that and see what's really going on. All right, so it says, this is what the Lord says. So, just real quick, you see that up there. Jeremiah is saying, this is what the Lord says. So this is the prophet of God speaking to us, and it's being written down. So we want to focus on this is what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying to you and I today, thousands of years later, but he said it to Israel, and it was specifically for Israel, spoken and fulfilled. But let's capture it today from the Holy Spirit. You say about this place, it is desolate, it's a waste, it's without men or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited neither by men nor animals, there will be heard once again, once more, the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of the bride and the bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings. There's our key for today. The voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty said, Jeremiah saying. This is what God is saying. God says, In this place, desolate and without men or animals, in all its towns there will again be pastures for shepherds to rest their flocks. And what we're looking at is a situation that's going on. And let me just give you a little bit of background because Jerusalem is under siege. When Jeremiah writes this, Jeremiah is in prison. He is the prophet of God and he is in prison in Jerusalem. And all of Israel is under siege by Babylon. Babylon has come against them. As a matter of fact, this siege has been taking place for approximately 18 months at this point. 
They are attacking and trying to take over Israel, and, and they have taken over town after town after town. They're finally at, at Jerusalem, and things are getting bad in Jerusalem. There's not enough food. People are dying. They're starving to death. There's no animals. There's no water. There's, it's just a, it's desolate. It's poor. It's dry, and these people are starving. And Jeremiah is down in the basement saying, it's going to get bad. It's going to get bad. Kind of like Eeyore, right? You, you, you read the poo stories. You've seen the little poo come. Oh, me, the sky is falling. Jeremiah is considered the weeping prophet. He's the one that never has anything nice to say about anything. Whenever they say, Jeremiah, tell us what the Lord says. He says, the Lord says he's going to kill you all, and you need to understand that you need to uh, straighten up because you've forsaken the Lord. And they're like, Jeremiah, why do you always have to say mean things to us? Say something nice. And Jeremiah will say, okay, you're going to have lots of wine and lots of honey, and life is going to be good. And then they say, Jeremiah, why are you lying to us? You never say anything nice. You ever been in that spot where it didn't matter what you said, you were wrong? Or you are going to get in trouble for it. Well, that's Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is in prison because of it. Jeremiah's countrymen put him in prison. Meanwhile, the Babylonians are attacking them. And Jeremiah is down there going, oh my, it's going to get worse. It's terrible. But the Lord says, I'm going to restore things. Don't worry. And so he begins to say what's going on. So as this, this passage is spoken to us from God, God is saying Jerusalem has lost hope, it's desolate, and I've rejected it. It's void of people and animals, and therefore it's void of hope. He says, you people have lost all your hope. But God says, I will bring back the joy, the gladness, the voices of the bride and the bridegroom, and that means the celebrations. I'm going to bring back the happy times in your life. I'm going to bring back the special times. Don't, don't, don't fear. I'm going to bring this stuff back. But he says specifically, and the voices of those that bring thank offerings into the house of the Lord. He says, I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. And I, I love that God says he's going to restore the voices of those who bring thank offerings. And I thought, well, what is a thank offering? What is that? And so I began to unpack some things and some look at some things. And so um, I love that God says he's going to restore that, but I need to know what it is. And so I, I turned to the book of Leviticus. Because a thank offering is not a compulsory offering. It's a totally voluntary offering. And so I needed to see what it was. And so I looked up in Leviticus chapter 7. And it says, these are the regulations for the fellowship offering that anybody can present to the Lord at any time. So here's an offering, and, 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 uh, and the Scripture unpacks it right up to that very point, that this fellowship offering, it's a bloody offering, it involves meat, okay, of some kind, depending on your economic status. And so it involves a meat, and, and you have, it gets made, and this is your fellowship offering, okay? But if you want your fellowship offering to be a thank offering, then you have to get the sides, Okay, it's kind of like going through the drive-thru the other day um, with, at Chick-fil-A with my grandkids. It's like, what do you want? I want chicken nuggets. I want it. No, I want it. No, and you just want to stop and say, no. You only can have a fellowship offering, but we can add to it, and it can be a thank offering. But that's all you get. Which one do you want? Okay, that's the way I want to say it because, you know, I was reading up on this stuff. But I didn't, and it was fine, and we lived to talk about it. But here's the deal. 
These are the regulations for the fellowship offering that anybody can present to the Lord. If they offer it, and then you got to look at the details. It's the details that matter. If they offer it as an expression of thankfulness, if you bring your fellowship offering, but you want to offer it, not because you did something wrong, or, but you want to offer it as a thank offering, then along with the thank offering, the, the meat that you sacrifice, the, the animal, you have to offer, now look at this, thick loaves, thick, okay, the first one is thick, without yeast and with oil mixed in, okay? So let's just say you're going to make a cake about, I don't know how much it's got to be, but a cake about that big, but it's got to be like uh, thick as a slice of toast, but not because of yeast, no yeast, so it's got to be hard and crunchy, you know. you got to gnaw on it a little bit maybe, but it's without yeast, so it's dense, okay? And it's got oil kneaded into it, all right? It says, uh, let me go back to where. Thick loaves made without yeast and with olive oil mixed in. Thin loaves made without yeast, so now we're talking crackers, but brushed on top with oil. So one, the oil's mixed in. Two, the oil's on top. Along with um, that, where are we at? Thick loaves? Okay, okay. Along with their fellowship offering of thanksgiving, they're to present an offering of thick loaves of bread made with yeast. So now we've got a really dense cracker about that big, about that thick. And then we've got something that's only cracker thin, but it's got oil brushed on the top. The first one has the oil inside of the dough. And then beyond that, we can have a big hunk of Panera bread. You know, I don't know, you like, I, I love it. When, you want a baguette with that? I want the whole baguette with that. I don't want the, I want the bag, not the baguette. Okay, give me the whole loaf, I will eat it for lunch. Okay, and eat the soup too. I want the end on the piece. It's all puffy. Yes, it has yeast in it. And so when we think about this, we think, okay, We've got one that is made super thin, brush the oil on top. Number two, it's made thick, the oil is inside the dough. Number three, go ahead and make it with yeast. And as I was thinking about that, actually as I was preaching it in the first service, it occurred to me that oil is a type, a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament law, where everything is without yeast, the Holy Spirit came but was on people and left came on Samson, left Samson. Came on King Saul, left King Saul. Okay? In the New Testament with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the oil is in the dough. It's inside of you and us. And then beyond that, we're going to a place where Gentiles can now be a part of the kingdom of God. And so there's your yeast, except that the kingdom of God is like unto Yeast, Jesus said, dough with yeast. It just expands and expands and expands and expands and expands. And so suddenly I'm seeing this metaphor as I'm preaching. But that lets you understand the thank offering. You're bringing a fellowship offering. It's a bloody offering. It's got meat involved in it. But if you want it to be a thank offering where you're just thanking God for loving on you, then you bring these different kinds of breads with you and you add it to that. And that's what's important. And it's kind of like going through the drive-thru, like I said before, and just saying, I Yes, I want that, but I need the, the additives as well. I need the extras. Go ahead and let me have a side of this, that, or the other thing, and that's okay. So as Jeremiah is describing what's going on inside of Jerusalem, it's dry, people are tired, they are beat down, 
They are being overrun by the enemy day in and day out. They are being starved spiritually and they are being starved actually. Where in Jeremiah's story do you find you going into thanksgiving? Where do you find you going into thanksgiving? You're getting ready to go to Thanksgiving, and it's like, oh, no. How are we going to um, get back in touch with God? One of the things that God has spoken to my life, I've sat out in the woods for a couple of days um, waiting for something to shoot, and nothing to shoot ever really walked in front of me or nothing that I could hit um, and nothing that I was going to shoot. And so I spend my time just talking with God. And he said, Joe, there's some things in your, lives, your life that need to change. And one of the things that I want to focus on going into 2020, but I'm starting now, is to live thankful instead of dealing with all that political mumbo-jumbo out there. I'm just going to focus on living thankful in the presence of God. That's what I want to do. And so I want to, I want to bring this thank offering to God where I say, God, I want to thank you for these things in my life. I want to thank you that I got to sit out in the woods and watch the sun come up and watch the sun go down. I want to thank you that I can do that. I want to thank you that we're going to take beds to children, that we're going to take food to families today. I want to thank you for that. But if I had to come to you and I had to say, hey, in the midst of all this dry time where we're, we're holed up in Jerusalem, if there is one thing that you're going to say that you are thankful for, what is this thing? What are you going to say? God, I am so thankful for. And, and let's, just, let's just all, let's don't say Jesus and the blood of Jesus and my salvation and eternal life. Let, let, let's, don't say, let's just say that for those of us that are Christians, that's a given. Okay? Can we just do that? It's like, I, don't get like all super spiritual and like that on me. Okay? What I want to know is what, is, what is it in your life that you are so thankful for? When you answer that question, you begin to say, Lord, I am so thankful. I was thinking about that, and, and, I, and I said, Lord, when I was sitting in my office and I was preparing this, I said, you know what? I am extremely and supremely so very thankful for my marriage. Because of where I was raised, you know, some of you know the story, because of how I grew up, because of the example that I had as a young man of how men were supposed to actually not treat women, okay, I am so thankful that God reached into hell and pulled me out of that and put my feet on a solid rock, gave me a firm place to stand, put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God that many would see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And I'm telling you, he, he, he did it through relationships, but in the midst of it all, he brought me into the presence of, of Pastor Janice. And, and, and I love her. That is, when I go see my therapist or I see a therapist and it's the first time, he goes, well, talk to me about your marriage. I can't say enough. And he'll usually stop me and say, well, clearly that's not the problem. <laughs> 36 years, 11 months, 6 days, 16 hours, and about 15 minutes ago, this was the picture of us. Yeah, that's the end of the wedding ceremony. Literally, 36 years, 11 months, and, and I'm right at, uh, give, me, give me a minute or two, but six days, 16 hours, and 15 minutes ago. Yeah. That's it. This is us today. And it's not today, today. It's about two or three years ago today. We were at a wedding. And it's the picture that I think of whenever I think of um, Janice and I. This, this is my marriage. 
This is, she is there. She is next to me. I am so thankful for this relationship in my life. I am so thankful for what it represents, who she is, what we've accomplished, how far we've come, what it means to walk with God. And I want to talk to you about being thankful to God. And I want to talk to you about marriage. And don't walk out if you're not married or if things have gone crash. They both apply as I was doing it the same. They apply. And so I want to share these thoughts with you. My marriage is what it is because of the hard work. We struggled against the world, not against each other. Sometimes we struggled against each other, but you know, um, we worked it out. We didn't go anywhere. We kept persevering because we knew. My marriage is what it is because of sacrifice. I don't get everything I want. If I get everything I want, something's wrong with my marriage. My marriage is what it is because of regular investment. Dating, sure, but vacations without children. If you take the children on a vacation, it's like, it's not a romantic vacation. Well, it has a romantic aspect to it, Pastor Joe. We bring my mother-in-law. If you bring your mother-in-law, it is not a a romantic vacation. No. And and I probably like your mother-in-law, okay? I like mine, but I'm not taking her on vacation. I will leave the kids with her at her house, and that will work better. But we invest in our relationship on a regular basis. There is constant communication in my relationship with my spouse. And it's communication to hear and understand, not communication to win and order about. Do you communicate to win or do you communicate to understand each other? See? And then the last thing is the prioritization We esteem each other as better. I want to see my wife's dreams come true. I want to see my wife excel at things that she just had an inkling of but began to come alive inside of her. My wife is an incredible educator. She got her PhD after the kids all were in school. She's a very smart young lady. My my wife has got an incredible relationship with Jesus. You can't bottle that up and keep it quiet. My wife is a leader. It only stands to reason that God was doing something to make her a pastor. But my marriage also describes my relationship to God. I love my relationship to God, but it's not all easy. But it's the same things. It's hard work. My relationship to God today is what it is because of the hard work. I don't go to church and and hear a message and then that's all I need for the week. I go to church, I hear a message, I say, God, how do you want to rip apart my life and stick that message in it? Because that was a word for me somehow. I want to hear that. It's because of sacrifice that my relationship to Jesus is what it is. I don't get everything I want. My prayers cannot be, God, give me this, God, give me this, God, give me this. It's got to be, God, what do you want from me? Because he's he's looking for that sacrifice. My relationship to God takes regular investment, dating for sure, on a regular basis. Constant communication. Opening up that Bible and seeing what does the Bible say about what the Bible says. And more than anything else, my relationship to Jesus and my relationship to Janice takes this thing. It takes prioritization. 
You have got to put your relationship to Jesus first above this whole world. And the question that I always ask myself is, just because I can doesn't mean I should. And how does that play out into this relationship or this opportunity or what's going on? So I say, if I'm going to chase after God and live thankfully, to live thankful is to live all in. Living all in is just another word. In in the NFL, it's not all in. It's a Hail Mary. But if you're a gambler, all in means you shove everything into the middle and you've got one chance and this is it. And I'm telling you that shoving your life into the middle, throwing into the towel, as Michael said, shoving it to the middle and going all in, that's the way to do it. And let God be God. And then embrace your life from there. All In was, a, was a, uh, um, uh, a sermon series that we did a couple of years ago. Are you all in? Book of Revelation says we don't want people sitting on the fence. Are you all in? Is it God all in or nothing? What does all in look like? Some of you have been here long enough that you've heard me stand on this stage and preach and say, the one thing that I would love to do before I die is stand on a craggy rock in Switzerland, right? Put on that flying squirrel suit, that flying suit, and jump off that rock and fly down through the cut and out into nowhere, and I desperately want to do this from thousands and thousands and thousands of feet up, and then as you break out into the valley, you pull the parachute, but you got to fly. You got to fly before the trumpet sounded. You got to fly. And I so bad want to fly. And, but if you're going to do that, you got to go all in, because when you jump off that crag, it's over, or it's over. <laughs> I'm probably never going to get to do that. But I found myself in Zimbabwe a month ago, and I found a bridge about 400 feet off the river there's a platform and there's a bungee cord 364 feet long and you can jump off that bridge into that gorge 30 and a half stories 360 yeah 30 and a half story it looks like this all right so the, here we are in Zimbabwe here we are at Victoria Falls, we're in the gorge, and I'm gonna do this bungee jump thing. It's 111 meters, that's roughly 335 feet. And I ask myself all the while I'm walking along the gorge, why am I doing this? Well, there's a couple of scriptures that come to mind. Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship, and he, he says, you know, consider the cost. Look out there and see if the army that's coming is bigger than your army. Or uh, consider the building that you're going to put up, the temple. He says, don't start it if you can't finish it. And there's times in your life where something is presented to you, and you've got to decide are you going to go all in or not. And in the kingdom of God, according to John, as he writes the book of Revelation, God doesn't want anybody sitting on a fence. Now, I'm not doing this because this makes me a better Christian than anybody. I'm just saying it. I've always talked about the idea of jumping off a, a big crag and Switzerland with a big flying squirrel suit on and it's all big talk when I'm standing in church in Richmond Kentucky but now I'm standing on the edge of the precipice in Victoria Falls Zimbabwe and I've decided you know what I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do it for me because I need to know if I can do it and so I'm just gonna jump because you've got to decide if you're gonna go all in or not a lot of people will stay in the boat and then some people will get out Peter got to walk on the water 11 other guys stayed there and talked about it Peter had a great story who knows what's gonna happen but it's time Hey, nobody lean in my way. Uh, yeah. He's You're alright. 
I can't see him anymore, but I can hear him howl. There he is. There he is. Way to go, Joe! That's my friend Bill. <laughs> I did the math wrong. It's 364 feet to the end of that bungee cord. Um, and, and just for the record, they told me right before I jumped, they said, don't worry, you're, it's, it's going to go well. Two months ago, Will Smith was here, so they put a brand new bungee on it, okay? He wouldn't jump if they didn't do that. So you got the new bungee when you jump off of this thing. It's like, thank you, Will Smith. I appreciate that very, very much. The point there that, that, that was for me, just in the course of events, and um, you may or may not see it, but um, Lane was right there in the background. Lane Taylor, some of you know who he is. He did it right after me, um, and, and it, was, it was a good experience. Would I do it again? Absolutely. I would do it again and again and again and again and again. Um, it really was an amazing thing. Um, it, yes, it was hard. They bring you right out to the edge, and they put, say, put your toes over, put your hands out like this, and we're going to say five, four, three, two, one, and then you jump. And so I did this and I did that and I closed my eyes and I looked down and I looked back up and you know, heard the Lord say, look to me, Joe, don't look down. Okay. But, but they didn't do that. They went five, four, three, two, one. That's how they did it. And then I jumped. Okay. But when I went, before I went up there, you have to pay for it because they want the money first in case you don't make it. Okay. So I went over and I paid for it. And then, uh, and, and, and I said, but if I pay for this and I don't jump, can I get my money back? And they said, you'll jump. And I said, no, 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 I know, I know. But what happens if I get to the edge and you can't walk because your feet are tied together? You can do this. I said, what happens if I get to the edge and I cannot jump? They said, oh, no, you'll jump. And then I began to understand what they were trying to tell me. They will throw you off that bridge. You do not get your money back. Okay, it's going to happen. It was a good experience. But I was hanging upside down, and that's where I heard the Lord say, I was, you know, down there 364 feet hanging upside down, saying, Lord, we did it. And then I was just waiting, um, and, and in the course of events, I heard the Lord say, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. My only reason in showing you that is sooner or later you have to go all in. You have to decide what you're going to do. In your marriage, you need to go all in. You don't get a little bit married. You don't get kind of married. You don't get sort of married. You get married and you become one. No longer two. One. And at that point, you are all in. And so as I talk about marriage, I want you to think about your relationship to Jesus. What does it mean to go all in in marriage? All in means change. You can take that to the bank. All in means change. Change means things cannot remain the same. Jesus said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's not just a sexual activity. You become one flesh. You become one inside. It says, so they're no longer two, but they're one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You know, there comes a time in your life when you, I look over at Janice and I say, hey, and she says, listen, why don't you throw a sweater on? And I have to look at her and say, am I cold or are we going for a walk? Because she knows me. And if she says, I see you shivering over there and you're cold, but you're not paying attention. See, we become one. I wake up in the morning and I see her face. And it's the same face I've seen for 36 years and, and uh, all these months and all these hours and all that. Okay, but th there it is. And I stop seeing her and I start seeing us. Because it's not just me anymore. It's us. 
And so we have to understand that if you're going all in in marriage, then it has to include change. You cannot remain who you, you can't be two and one at the same time. If you're going to be one, then you have to be willing to change. And that's all there is to it. So listen to me, where there's no mutual transformation, okay, where you don't become one, one person becomes a servant to the other, not a mate. If you don't both change, one of you will become a servant to the other one, and the other will become a boss and a tyrant. It's not always the male. It's not always the female. In your relationship to God, there has to be change in your life. The same thing is true about our relationship to Christ. Therefore, if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You can't interact with Jesus and go home and be the same person you were before. If you tell me Christ lives inside of you and you're still doing what you did before you met Christ, you're only fooling yourself. And it doesn't matter if you can convince me. Because one day you'll meet Jesus face to face. And he'll say, what about all that pretending you were doing? What about what all, what, what all was going on down there? And we give a, 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 an account for our lives. We will not succeed in Christ. We will not succeed in life where we do not embrace and invite change. Get a hold of that? We will not succeed in life or in Christ where we do not embrace and invite change. In order for God to answer your prayer, something is going to change in your life. And you've got to be willing to accept it and let God do it. Let me put it another way for you, a lot more succinctly. Dead things don't grow. Dead marriages don't grow, and people that call themselves Christian that are spiritually dead don't grow. I want to grow. Anything that is living and healthy will continue to change. Number two, all in means compromise. It means compromise. There is no way around it. You don't get it your way all the time. You have to be willing to come together mutually beneficial to the union of the marriage, not to an individual. Compromise means you have to do things you don't want to do sometimes. Compromise means loving his friends or her family at family activities. Compromise means carrying the bags while Christmas shopping. Compromise means asking, what's your favorite restaurant? And when they tell you, saying, well, that's where I made plans. Let's go there, even though you didn't have a clue. Okay? That's what it means to compromise. You don't always get it your way. Thanksgiving is coming, and you're going to go to family gatherings. And some of these family gatherings, and some of you in here are going, I can't believe we still have to go to your moms or your dads or your grannies or your papas. You know, and you're approaching it that way. Suck it up. Take a deep breath. It's going to go on until they leave the earth. And find a way to enjoy it for the sake of your spouse. You say, well, it always turns into a fight. Put some duct tape on your mouth. When somebody asks you about it at Thanksgiving, just tell them. And your spouse can say, he's trying to stay out of the fight, or she's trying to not set you off. Either way, you actually can choose not to be a part of that and still celebrate your spouse. 
Same thing is true in our relationship with God. There is a place where we have to realize that we have to let go of the old us. The scripture in Ephesians chapter 5 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of your love for Jesus, submit to your spouse. Out of your love for Jesus, submit right it it, it goes on to say um wives submit to your husband but it starts with submit to one another right there because you love jesus if you love jesus then quit trying to get it your way all the time don't do that it's not necessary if you have to say i'm the man i'm in charge i'll say what we're doing then you're not you're not you're a tyrant if you have to say you ain't doing that if I don't say so, okay? You're not in charge either. Once again, you're just a tyrant. You've heard me say before, it breaks my heart when I hear men come up to me and say, well, I thought about getting a motorcycle, but my wife said I can't. (laughs) That's kind of the definition of a tyrant. Not that you can get the motorcycle or not get the motorcycle, but that you can't because of one person in the relationship. There should have been communication that brought you to the place of saying it's not mutually beneficial to my relationship and therefore we decided this isn't the right time for it. That's how it's done. What's the best thing for the union, not what's the best thing for you? All in means compromise. Now, first of all, where there's not mutual transformation, one person becomes a servant to the other. Where there's not mutual compromise, there is only dictatorship. And the last thing is all in means sacrifice. You have to let go of some things, stuff that can no longer express the value of being in a relationship with somebody. If you're in a relationship with, uh, with, with, as a man, if I'm in a relationship with a woman, then having all of these platonic female relationships does not say that I value her. The fact that I go home and sleep with her might say, well, see, she's more special. You've made a vow. doesn't matter. It's time to start cutting some things and making some sacrifices in your life. You cannot keep doing all the things that you kept doing before you got married, and you've got to be willing to let go of that. And before you say, well, you're kind of living in an old age. No, I'm not. I'm living in a 36 coming up on 37-year marriage. That's what I'm doing, and it works okay? You've got to let go of your attitudes. You've got to let go of other relationships. You've got to let go of fancy cars, party lifestyles, finances, dreams. You've got to let go of lusts, and you've got to let go of greed, and that's not an exhaustive list. You've just got to be willing to make sacrifices for your relationship if your relationship is going to succeed beyond all of the relationships in the world that we live in. We live in a world that trashes marriages right and left. The destruction of marriage leads to the destruction of the nuclear family, which eventually leads to the destruction of the country. I'm not getting political. I'm just telling you. God ordained the family unit. God did. And we celebrate that. I know things go wrong. I know things go bad. And I know people have a free will. But as Christian people, there comes a time when we bolster ourselves and we say, what does the Bible say from this point? I can't go back and fix what's behind me. How am I going to go forward and win? Because I'm telling you, almost 37 years in, one more month, I'll be 37 years in. It is still the joy of my life to wake up next to her. I still want to take her to the movie. 
I still want to sit with her at dinner. I still want a vacation with just her. Same thing is true with my relationship with God. I love coming together here, but I like sitting in the woods alone with Him. I like sitting over a cup of coffee before anybody gets to the coffee shop by myself with Him. I love to pray. Paul said to the church in Philippi, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one, one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value other people above yourself. Not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It certainly applies to your marriage, even more so to our congregation, and then eventually to the world. It never bothers me when my phone rings on date night. Because I believe that we're here to make a difference. I wonder how about you? We're going into Thanksgiving and I wonder what's the thing inside of you right now? Sometimes it's a bitterness that needs to be turned into a betterness. There's something inside that's just keeping you. you somebody did something to you, stole something from you, took something from you, and, and it might have been God that you, you're mad at. But there's something in here that you just cannot bring an offer, a thank offering to God. You're not going to make the little cakes. You're not going to do this. Somebody shared with me afterwards. Sacrificial offerings are when you bring an animal in, but that thank offering is when you make something and bring it to God. You make it with your hands. And you offer it to God. And I thought, isn't that unique? Sometimes what we've made in here is like a rock and we can't get past it. And I believe that God wants you to go into the holiday season, especially into Thanksgiving. I believe he wants you to take these out and set them down up here. Just pile all those little stones up here, all those bitternesses. Let's turn them into betternesses. All of those things that you're afraid you're going to go into. Some, somebody's going to say something at Thanksgiving. We're going to go to dinner and somebody's going to be a smart aleck. And you just decide right now that we're going to take a deep breath and that's not going to be us. We're going to go. We're going to be thankful. Because we've got a lot to be thankful for, don't we? And this is an air-conditioned building. Hot or cold, we, we've got control of it. We came here in vehicles. You're surrounded by people that want to love on you. You are not alone unless you want to be alone. We've got a lot to be thankful for. From now on, I want to say every day, God, thank you. for the, Thank you that I get to be the pastor of the Vineyard Enrichment. Thank you that I get to pray. Thank you that I get to speak. Thank you that I get to go to people's homes and with the rest of the team and, and take food. Thank you that we get to love on people. Thank you that we get to say, Jesus, 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 not vineyard, vineyard, vineyard. Thank you. We've got a lot to be thankful for going into Thanksgiving. But I think let's capture a concept of Thanksgiving as a lifestyle, not an incident. Not an incident. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God's inviting you today to come up here, learn, hear, and surrender. If you know about God, but you're really kind of living that, you know, I'm not going to give it all to Him. Maybe it's time to throw up in your hands, or like Michael said, throw in the towel. It's time. Today's a day to go into the holly jolly vineyard Christmas season. 
celebrating Jesus and the forgiveness and the healing that he brings in your soul. So we're going to go into this song. I want to invite you to your feet. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you to come. Just settle upon us, wreck our lives, tear it down, and bring us the healing we're looking for. Help us to be willing to do our part. Take this root of bitterness out of our chest, God. Give us a heart of flesh where we have a heart of stone. But let us be honest, even when it's not our fault that we're this way. Let us be willing to give it to you. Because you gave it all. You went all in for us today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.